So I'm going to just jump right in. Um, and so we are starting a new series this morning. It's called You Choose. So all last month, uh, we've had index cards and a bucket back there and asking for you to help us put together messages for the month of August. Um, topics, themes, scriptures. Uh, now, here's what I'm going to say. Not all of them are going to get preached on, okay? Uh, there was far more than I can fill in a month. Um, but uh, what we did was we went through them, and we kind of lumped some together that were like-minded, uh, and then not this next Sunday, but the fo- <laughs> she's already looking at me like nervous. Uh, the following Sunday, uh, the 20th, uh, I've got a couple of uh, our young communicators, uh, Sean, Sky, and Cole, uh, are going to be joining us up on stage and helping preach uh, a what we call kind of like a five to seven minute mini message on a bunch of these topics. So I've already made her nervous uh, just by talking about it. But listen, I hope that you invite people out because we got some really great topics for that week, uh, and I'm excited for them. Uh, how many know that we are blessed to have more than just me being able to put messages together, and we have some great communicators. And so uh, I, I think it's a great opportunity for them to come and share their heart on this You Choose sermon series. So kicking off this, uh, this sermon series, uh, one of the topics that we saw over and over and over again in the little index cards, and I literally titled my message, People. People. Um, and, and because, listen, I think a lot of people have this, I can love God down but the loving people, the dealing with people, the, the struggle of relationships, friendships, like that's a whole different story, right? Like uh, I've heard, I heard a pastor once say this. He said, you know, this pastoring thing would be really easy if it wasn't for people. <laughs> I'm not saying that I said that. I'm just saying I've heard a pastor say that because it's, it's the reality of you never know what's going to, listen, you could have a really great day, and so you interact with great people. And then there's days where you interact with people, and you're like, I, I didn't do anything. Like, so, um, you know, I'm married, been married for 20 years. Um, if you've been married for any time, you can know that there's been times where you deal with your significant other, and they jump down your throat, and you look at them like, what did I do to you? What? what? <laughs> you know? Like, I, listen, I am not the problem. I do not have the target. Um, and, and so how do you say that in a way that doesn't cause a bigger problem? How do you deal with your boss or how do you deal with your friends? And, and how do you, how do you just, how do you deal with people? I'll tell you the topics that were actually written down about people, um, were this, were gossip, were how, how to, uh, not be distracted or be a distraction. And, uh, and then the other one was, in my point somewhere, and now I can't. Oh, um, uh, how to get how to deal with grudges? And I'm like, man, that's a great question. Uh, and so I'm gonna kind of I, I encompassed all of them, and I said, you know what? Let's add a few more topics in there with people, and we're gonna give you a a nice little shot this morning, and hopefully, maybe just one of these tips sticks with your uh, with your life, and you go out this week, and you're like, I can put that into practice. Um, and so uh, I want to start off with kind of like an overview scripture that's going to kind of guide and lead us this morning. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says this, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look at each other so that, 
Look at each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Jesus' whole life was about others. His whole life. Matter of fact, one of the greatest definitions and, 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 and uh, scriptures that defines who Jesus was was the one where it says that he, uh, Jesus went around doing good everywhere he went. In other words, he went around looking to impact people's lives everywhere he went. Whether he was just going uh, into the marketplace. Think about how many times you read in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, and Jesus was just going somewhere. It wasn't like Jesus was on the hunt. It wasn't, you know, like, oh, you know, <laughs> Junior's like, dang it, I hate sitting in the front. Um, there's no Blake here today, so I've got, I've got nobody. I've got Junior, okay? Um, so it's not like he was looking and going, I'm looking for Junior. He needs to be healed. Jesus was literally just walking somewhere. Many times he was going somewhere else, and it was other people's needs and other people's desires that stopped Jesus in his tracks. It, it influenced the rest of his day. How many times have been stopped in the middle of your day, and you're like, I don't have time for this. I don't, I don't have time for you today. I don't Listen, I'm busy. My, my to-do list doesn't have a junior on it, okay? And, and the reality is, is that Jesus says, listen, it's, it, your to-do list can be good, but if you're not moldable and shapeable and, and you're not able to be interrupted because of people, then you're missing all of what Jesus really came to this earth for. It says, live at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. Now, you can live at peace with people real easily. Don't interact with them. <laughs> you will live at peace with people. But you won't be able to do the second part, which is live a holy life. Because a holy life is, is, is a life that the Bible says shines our light out into the world so that people will know our Father and know his good works. And so uh, today, my goal, my hope is that when you hear this message, that something, one thing, uh, one of these uh, tips these encouragements will, will stick with you. So I'm going to warn you, I have a lot of scripture because I don't want this to be Pastor Scott's opinion. Because when we're dealing with people, you don't need a, a, a pastor's opinion. You don't need anybody's opinion. Because here's the reality is that the opinions of the world are really what screw up relationships anyways. They really are. I mean, everybody's a critic and everybody's a professional. We talked about influencers uh, last week, and, and, and the reality is you can get on TikTok and, and Facebook and Instagram, and there will, be, there will be influencers telling you how to deal with things all day long. And the reality is you don't need another man's opinion. You need the word of God to tell you, how do I deal with people? How do I deal in my circumstance? How do I deal and treat people the way that God wants me to? The Bible is a treasure trove of advice on how to deal with people. It really is. I, I literally sat this week and like searched and I had, the, let's just put it this way. The amount of scriptures I'm going to give you today are like half of what I had on my list. I said, no, people are going to get annoyed with me. Uh, I need to like, you know, dwindle this down. So I would encourage you. Matter of fact, one of my biggest encouragements is this, is if you're going through something, get on the YouVersion Bible app. Go ahead and Google. Just make sure that you go to the right websites and Google. What does the Bible say about? And you'll find all sorts of scriptures that encourage you with what you're walking through. What does the Bible say about finances? What does the Bible say about emotions? What does the Bible say about this or that or any other thing in between? And pull up all these scriptures. And sometimes you need to write them down. I don't know why I have an index card up here, but I do. Write them down on an index card. 
and, and, and put them in places where you're going to remember them. Put them on sticky notes and put them on your mirror and, and, and let it encourage you when you wake up. So Psalms 106 verse 3 says this. So, so we're supposed to live at peace. We're supposed to live holy lives. And it says this, there is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. There is a joy. Now listen, hear, hear me. It is not that you will be able to solve the problem all the time. And it's not that you will always be able to make relationships work all the time. But the Bible says that the person who lives justly, who does things right, will have a joy. They will be able to walk away even from a circumstance that is not good and go, I did all that I could within biblical foundation that I know that God is pleased with me and God is happy. So there's a joy in, in, in doing things the way that God wants us to. Not Listen, get, um, I'm going to preface this whole topic with this. Not everybody needs to be your friend. Amen? You didn't have to be that excited about it, okay? Not everybody needs to be your friend, but you do need to be friendly, okay? And there, those are two different worlds. I think sometimes when we read the, uh, the Bible and we read things like love your neighbor, you're like, yeah, but listen, my neighbor's a jerk, you know? Here's the thing. Your neighbor can be a jerk and you can still love them. It doesn't mean that you have to have a great relationship with them. It just means don't go egg their house, it means don't deflate their tires. It means when you walk outside, just give them a friendly wave. It doesn't mean that you have to invite them over for dinner. It doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with them. But the Bible says that we do need to have a genuine heart for people. Not everyone is invited into your personal space, nor do they need to belong there. But we need to show them God's love with our lives. Listen, can I tell you this? It's not a popularity contest. Life is not about how many friends you collect or how many followers or how many likes or anything. It's not a popularity contest. It's about treating people rightly, godly, and in love, okay? So I don't need to have a 1,000 friends, but when I encounter people, I want them to walk away knowing that they've encountered somebody who genuinely cares about people. Even if I never meet them again, even if I, listen, I'm horrible with names. I'll be the super honest. If you ever met me and I've asked you your name like three times until I get to know you, that's why. I'm horrible with names. It's like God's running joke on a pastor. Hey, we're going to have you run a church, and then you're going to forget everybody's name. Like, I feel so loved. Um, but the reality is, is that, uh, you know what? Even if I don't remember your name, I, I want to I remember who you are. I want to leave a lasting impression with every little thing. I've, I've talked about Laura Rain. She doesn't go to this church, but uh, she's a, a person that is in our community. Um, and she, for over five years now, has had a goal that every day, she meets somebody new. That's exhausting. That's exhausting. And if you're not a people person, that's downright wrong. Okay, now she's a people person. Like, she's like me. You can make friends with a tree, okay? Like, my wife, anytime we go to Disneyland or Disney World, if I was gone longer than 10 minutes, her typical question when I came back was, so, who'd you meet? And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, literally standing in line for food and I can become your best friend, especially if you have an accent. If you have an accent, oh yeah, I'm going to talk to you because I think accents are the, like, if, if you have an accent, I'm probably just going to ask you questions so that I can hear you talk. 
Um, and so the, uh, Disney and Disneyland is like a treasure trove of people watching and people meeting. And so when you hear like a thousand different accents, I'm like, where are they from? Oh, where are you from? I'm like, you know, I'm like that dog from Up. You know, I have just met you and I like you. You are my master. Um, squirrel. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I'm a people person. I know that not everybody is like me. So it's not that I'm the standard. The Bible's the standard. So you don't have to, like, talk to everybody. You just have to be nice and be friendly, and, and you have to do what is right. So I'm going to give you a handful of tips with a handful of scriptures, and then we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray that this week you get to put them in action. You may not like that prayer. Um, so Matthew 7, 1 through 6 is going to be kind of our lead scripture for these handful of uh, examples, okay? So here we go. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge others. By the way, this scripture right here is the most um, lied scripture that I think people use. Well, the Bible says not to judge because you stop right there. We're going to get into what this really means. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see it well enough to do well with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. I think the Bible made it very clear how it feels about certain things. You know, we think the Bible's like, oh, it's so love, and Jesus is jumping through roses. Like, you know, I think he makes his feelings known on this. So here's a couple of tips that I found in this set of scriptures. If you messed up, own it. I'm going to let that just simmer for a minute. Feeling it, that awkwardness. We hate admitting that we're wrong. We do. Oh, listen, I, listen, my, my, my wife hates, because listen, there's a meme that I just saw and I read it to her. I said, uh, I know I lost the fight 10 minutes ago. Now I'm just trying to make you mad, okay? Uh, that is me in a nutshell, because I can argue even when I know I'm wrong. If I know I'm wrong, oh, even if you want to, listen, if, if you want to argue now, it's about winning. It's not even about whether I'm right. It's about winning, okay? Listen, I'm not all that holy all the time, okay? And, and so if you mess up, own it. I screwed up. Me and my wife were just talking about an instance with somebody, and uh, they made a mistake. Everybody that could look at the circumstance knew they made a mistake. They couldn't own it. I said, it's not even the fact that, it's not even the mistake that they made that makes me upset. I could care less. I can forgive them for that. It's the fact that they wouldn't own their stuff. It's the fact that they wouldn't just come out and say, you know what, everybody else knows I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And we, we think that that makes us weak. We, we think that that makes us imperfect. Newsflash, you are. Because in our own world, we're like a superstar, but the reality is, is what good does it do if you're never wrong, but everybody else is? 
How can you have friendships? How can you have, how can you have somebody that's willing to be accountable to you and, and have a relationship with you if you can never admit that you've made a mistake? I believe that's why a lot of divorces happen is because we are in love with that person. We just think that they know I'm wrong, so we can just move on. You need to own your stuff. You need to say, I'm sorry. Everybody say it with me. I'm sorry. So you all can say it. But not too loud. I don't want my wife knowing I can say it, okay? Uh, <laughs> but listen, we can all say it. The problem is the enemy gets us to believe like, oh, yeah, see? They're going to hold this over your head. They're going to use it against you. And so what you do is you, 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 you plant your feet in a place where God says not to, and we hold our ground, and we, 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 we try to go, or we'll do this. If we just don't talk about it, it'll just, it'll just go by, and then we'll go back to normal. But then what happens? The next time that something happens, not only does that circumstance now cause an issue, but now they're thinking of the time where you already didn't say you're sorry. Own your stuff. Relationships are a lot better when you can own your stuff and just say, hey, I screwed up. I screwed up. Listen, I'm I'm not a loser all the time, but in this circumstance, I'm a loser. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And then people go, okay, cool. Now let's move on. Right, because that's that's what it, it when when it talks about judging. If you if you catched it, caught it, catched it. Thank God I'm not one of those teachers. <laughs> you don't want me teaching English. But if you caught it, it said this: the standard you use in judging is the standard that is used to judge you. So when you can't be a big enough Christian and believer and follower of Christ to say you're sorry, then people will hold that against you. And guess what? They won't do the same to you. I don't understand. They didn't own their stuff. Well, maybe it's because you haven't owned your stuff and there is a massive wall in this relationship. And some of the greatest moments in my marriage have been the toughest parts in our marriage where we talk about what is hurting our marriage. Guys, don't talk about that kind of stuff. It's too emotional. You want a good marriage, you will. Oh, let, me, let me go a little bit further. You want a godly marriage, you will. Now listen, this isn't grab the Kleenex, the bonbons, and watch a Lifetime movie together or a Hallmark movie together, and then get in your feels and talk about you know, how bad or how great your marriage is, okay? I'm talking about having like a real like tough, like listen, um, maybe a little too vulnerable in this is the fact that like I am the guy that doesn't like to admit that I'm wrong. This is, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anybody else. But the reality is I've been in my marriage where times where like I felt God saying for over a month, just ask the stupid questions or just admit that you made a mistake. And instead I'm like, okay, if she's the woman, she's more emotional. Problem is my wife is also stubborn and Italian. And so, um, so we could sit there easily, like quietly fighting. That's bad. And so we, we, we sit there, and it's almost like a who will cave first instead. And, and the crazy part is, at the end of when we actually just ask the questions, hey, what's wrong? But the conversation brings healing and wholeness and a closer relationship. If you messed it, own it. The second tool, treat people the way you want to be treated. Now, this is Biblical. And it's in this, for you will be treated as you treat others. 
You will be treated the way you treat others. You're a jerk. Guess what's coming back to you? Nine times out of ten, they're going to be jerk right back to you. You're nice more times. Now, this isn't like a, uh, a one plus one always equals two. But when you are nice, it's hard for somebody to be a jerk to you. Like, you know, they just look foolish. But when you're mean, you'll be, you'll be, listen, uh, this last Friday down at First Friday, uh, we had some issues. I wasn't even on duty, okay? I was like doing my, my, my shorts and tank top. My son was selling lemonade. I was having a good time. People wanted to act a fool, okay? And they, it, it's too hot to act a fool, amen? So listen, you're not going to get nice Pastor Scott when you're acting a fool. You're going to get, I've got a badge and I'm going to yell at you. Scott, okay? And at the end of the night, these people, I mean, for hours, I had to, me and another officer who was on duty had to watch them. And finally, it's like they just attracted each other. It's like they multiplied out of nowhere. They went from like 30 to 50 over like the a breath of a second. And, uh, and so finally, uh, I told my wife, I said, get in the car and go. <laughs> she goes, what are you going to do? You're in flip-flops. I'm like, <laughs> I'll do what I have to do, you know? Listen, um, I'll handle my business. Uh, and, and so we literally were, like, hurting this group of people, like, down Washington. I mean, it was like, okay, we're moving on. Like, you've got to go. You're going to get arrested. Like, don't be an idiot. And, uh, and so, you know, they're, they're walking in the middle of the street. And so finally, I just got annoyed with them. And I just yelled at them, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, hey! little voice in the, out in the, uh, now see, like that's, that's not nice, but it had to be done. Um, and then this one guy, and if I would have stopped there, I would have been okay. Right. And this one voice way up at the top said, shut up, pig. (laughs) 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 So then I got childish (laughs) and I yelled at him. It's easy to say that from far away. My wife said, why did you say that? It's like hoping he'd come back so I could arrest him. That's why. Because I've got that power. I, you know, but that's baiting. Well, listen, I was childish and I can, okay? Um, <laughs> is what it is. Treat people the way you want to be treated. How hard is it to treat people kindly? It's, it's, it's really not. And listen, if, if, if people rub you the wrong way, then get out of the way of their rubbing. You know, sandpaper people. Cactus people, they don't feel good. If they're, listen, if somebody rubs you the wrong way, get out of the way so that you don't do something like I did on Friday and then take, listen, there was no problem with me yelling at him to get out of the road. They're not playing Frogger. I don't want to work an accident, okay? But when he said what he said, I said what I said. Hey, was, it, was it bad? No. Was it wrong? I could have walked away and shut my mouth, okay? And, and so we got to treat people the way that we want to be treated. I love this, this saying. It says, we want to judge others by their actions, but we want to be judged by our intentions. Yeah. Ooh. Right? Because I'm going to judge you by what you did, but I want you to judge me by what I thought about it, by what I, how I thought I handled it. That's not what I meant, but that's what you said. But that's not what I meant, but that's what you did. Well, yeah, but can't you judge me based off of what my intentions were while I judge you by what you did? See, we got to treat people, if we want people to give us the benefit of the doubt, guess what we got to do? We got to give them the benefit of the doubt. We got to treat them with honesty and fairness. Now, listen, this isn't being a doormat. This isn't being, uh, 
you know, completely loving to the point where people abuse you. No, this is simply saying that we are going to do our best to live a life that looks like Jesus. We're going to walk in their shoes. We're going to have conversations with them because conversations make a huge difference. I've said this my whole life in ministry and in leadership, that nine times out of 10, conversation will cure all issues. Why do they feel like that? I don't know. You mean you haven't asked them? No, I'm afraid to. Afraid of what? Words? That can help? That can actually make it better? You're afraid that they may say something that, that offends you or makes you emotionally sad? Well, wouldn't you rather get through those processes of emotion so that you can find holding and healing instead of just holding on to it? It's hard to gossip, to mistreat, to hurt someone you have a relationship with when God is in the middle, when you're praying for them, and you treat them like yourself. The third tip that goes along with treat people the way you want to be treated is watch how you judge. Notice how I didn't say don't judge, because I don't believe that's true. The Bible doesn't say, I mean, well, I guess it technically says do not judge others. But really what it's saying in that, when you look at the wording, when you look at what it's teaching, do not judge others and you will not be judged. And then it follows it up with treat others the way that you want to be treated. And then it says the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. In other words, when you judge, because we all judge, judge rightly, not out of emotion, not out of opinion, but rightly. Okay, when, when we, if you ever have the opportunity to go to court, which hopefully none of you will ever have to experience that in a negative way, I go to court a lot, every week, three, four, five, six times a week. And I trust that the judge is going to make the right decision. Can I tell you that they don't always do that? They don't, I'll be honest, okay? But their job is to be as non or as partial as possible. Where, where, where it's not about like, oh, man, I'm friends with Junior, but, you know, Sean, uh, he looks a little weird, so we're going we're gonna to judge in Junior's favor. But wait, wait, you, you, just, you just said he could have my car because I look different? Like, you know, like, could you imagine if that's how the judge was like, well, who do I like more in this uh, scenario? Who's going to be willing to slip me 100? Because in some places, it's like that. In some countries, it's about how much you can bribe or what p power of position you have. And the <laughs> when it comes to the God, he says, listen, when you judge somebody, judge according to Scripture, not according to opinion, not according to your emotional. Because how many know that when it comes to emotions, our judgment gets clouded and we will make judgment calls one day that we wouldn't make the other day? And I, I've told y'all over and over again, when people look at, uh, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this actually last week with, with uh, David, that everybody judged, uh, uh, Samuel judged David's father, Jesse, all of his sons based off of their looks. And he says, listen, I don't judge the outer appearance. I look at the inward. And so when we judge somebody, we need to judge according to the word of God, the will of God through prayer. We are called to judge, but righteously judge in those. It's, it's about accountability and trust, right? If I said, it, 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 when I tell my wife, you look gorgeous, is that not judging her? Yes. 
Not everybody, well, I think everybody should look at my wife, and don't call her gorgeous, because I may sock you, but um, you can call her pretty or beautiful. If anybody ever calls her hot, we have, we'll be fighting. Um, but <laughs> that's reserved for me and me alone, okay? Uh, but that's, that's a judgment call. Beauty, you know, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? It's a judgment. Not everybody's going to think the same way. And so judgment is just that. It is an opinion based off of the facts laid before you. And when the Bible says to judge people according to to how you want to be judged, think about that before the next words come out of your mouth or that thought rolls through your head. Are you just judging based off of how you feel in the moment because they made you wrong or they did something to a friend of yours or they did you wrong in business or, or you didn't like the way that they looked at you in Walmart and it was hot and, and it's Walmart? And so I judge them. We're called to judge. But to do it in a way that is not condemning, to do it in a way that is loving. Uh, Romans 14, 10 through 13 says this. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. That should scare us a little bit. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble, stumble or fall. In other words, listen, you're not Jesus and you're not God. Amen? And we should be thankful for that. So the next time you decide to make a judgment call, to to say something about somebody, to make a decision, stop and pray. I know it's a novel idea, but stop and pray. God, is what I'm about to say, based off of righteousness and holiness and your will and your word, or am I just moody today? (laughs) And I ate something wrong. And they did me wrong last week, and so now I want to get them back. Don't, watch how you judge. The fourth little tip is this. Don't be a distraction. Amen? There was not enough people. (laughs) You're like, well, what do you mean, don't be a distraction? I don't know. you got to give me more definitive answers. Listen, everything in life should not, you should not be the star of the show. It's not about you. Don't be a distraction in life. The Bible says that that we're called not to uh, cause other people to stumble. Our our goal as a Christian is to not cause other people to lose their focus on Jesus. So outside of the church, watch how you live your life. Don't be a distraction, right? I say this all the time. I don't, I'm not, my job is not to give you the checklist of all the do's and don'ts, the rights and wrongs, okay? That's not my job. I don't want that weight. I don't want that pressure on my life. So if you come to me and say, well, pastor, is this and this wrong? There are certain things that are black and white are absolutely wrong from based off of the Bible. There's a lot of gray area, and it comes down to your heart and your motives and your relationship with Jesus, okay? So if you ever want me to get up here and definitively say yes or no to a lot of things, it's probably not going to happen. I'm going to tell you what does the word of God say because I want you to focus in on it. I want you to research it. While you're in this building, you shouldn't be a distraction to other people. Because, and, and we used to tell teenagers this all the time. I did youth ministry for 15 years. When, when, when you're a distraction, you're not only keeping God from speaking to you, but you're also keeping God from speaking to others because now they're focused on you. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean you can't raise your hands and worship and can't say amen. And, and, and listen, I, we, I, I'm not talking to robots and I'm not talking to dummies. So I don't mind a little, you know, back and forth here. But when everything goes from what God is doing to around you, then we're, we're a distraction and we're actually being used by the enemy 
to miss the truth of God. And so inside the church house, our goal is to build each other up so that we can live outside the church house and not be a distraction in the way that we live our life. And so don't be a distraction. Don't be a distraction in the relationships trying to make life all about you. Stop being a distraction at your workplace trying to uh, keep the focus and attention all on you. The next one is this, and it's, it's one of the ones that really got written down was about grudges. Don't hold grudges. In the words of Elsa, let it go. Let it go. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Like, it's really easy to use where just let it go. You're like, you don't understand. I want to let it go on a punching bag. Maybe their face. Maybe in my car with them in front of me. I'll let it go. <laughs> it's hard to let things go because we're humans and we have emotions. But here, I want to give you a couple of scriptures that may help you. Mark eleven twenty five. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins too. And Leviticus 19, 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. You may go, well, I'm cleared. I'm not Israelite. Stop. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We've heard that before in Matthew. Jesus reiterates that in the great commandment. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, and the greatest, the second one is, is like the first, to love others like yourself. And so I love that both in Old Testament and New Testament, he says, listen, holding a grudge, it doesn't benefit you. You've got to, you've got to find a way to release it. Is it easy? No. Is it, is it better for you? 100% yes. Grudges and unforgiveness are like being handcuffed. So some of you have probably been staring at these. Um, <laughs> junior. No, Sean. Come here, Sean. Junior's like, I'm not doing that. All right. So will you roll your sleeves up uh, so I can, so everybody can see? So I want, I like visual illustrations, okay? So these are handcuffs, okay? Um, so this is, this is how I've always viewed forgiveness. Go ahead and turn so everybody can see. Like, no, yeah, there you go, right there. So this is what we do, okay? We hold a grudge and we, we handcuff, we, we, not hard. Oh no, keys right. <laughs> uh, and then he's not going anywhere. Where's the little? There we go. I've got to find it first. There we go. Trying to do it the wrong way. So I only got one hand, people. Okay. So here, here's the thing. Here, here's how unforgiveness and grudges work. Sean is upset with me. And so, you know what? I'm going to hold a grudge, and I'm going to hold unforgiveness. But I'm also going to try to worship God and serve him. Could you, I mean, think about this. How well can you play guitar like that? <laughs> Not very well. You know, hey, I want you to build, a, I want you to go, and I want you to help uh, uh, clean up. We're going to do a serve day. Can't really serve too well with your hand cuff. Hey, hey, I want you to be able to go home and, and, and I want you to show love to your kids and your wife. Not really all that great when you're handcuffed. And here's the problem. Now he comes to church and he says, God, why don't I feel close to you? God, why do I feel distant in relationship with you? God, why can't I worship you all that great? Why, why do I feel like I'm so far away? Why, where's my freedom, God? And God says, hey, 
The Bible says in, in Mark 11 that you need to ask, if, ask for forgiveness and you need to seek forgiveness and you need to give forgiveness and then your worship and then your life will find freedom. And this is what God does. God takes the key and he hands it to us. This is your freedom. This is where you will find all that you need. Your, your, the handcuffs will come off. The, the, the weight of grudge will come off. The weight of unforgiveness will come off. And here's what we do. We complain with the keys of freedom in our hand going, but God, they need to make the step first. All the time. I, listen, I'm good. No, don't you unlock yourself yet. <laughs> I did not tell you to do that. Okay? So the whole time he's handcuffed, I'm not gonna give, I'm not gonna give Scott forgiveness. Watch him sit in, in misery while I don't forgive him. My hands are uncuffed, people. I'm living my life. I'm doing my thing. His unforgiveness and his grudge towards me has not impacted me one bit with my hands. Not one bit. And so we think that by holding a grudge, we're actually hurting the other person, and all we're doing is hurting ourselves. All we're doing is hindering ourselves. All we're doing is keeping our lives from living the freedom that God has called us to live. And see, now, look what it, he's, he's trying to find a way out. He's like, I want out of these chains. Yeah, how many times in our lives do we want out of the chains and the bondage of hurt and pain, of unforgiveness? And we will do everything ourselves to try to get out of it instead of trust God's word. I've got the key. All you have to do is, is say, I'm sorry. All you have to do is make the relationship right. All you have to do is say, hey, look, you hurt me. No, he, he should know that. You know how many times I've, I've been told, well, pastor, I was in the hospital. Nobody called me. Who'd you tell? Nobody supposed to magically know and now you're mad at me because I didn't show up? Yes. Well, he said something in his sermon and it hurt my feelings. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was convicting you and you thought that I was just all up in your business? That's not my problem. That's God's problem. Take it up with him. We handcuff ourselves in life holding grudges and unforgiveness when God has freedom for you. And we will try to pull our hands out and we will try to do all that we can before we trust God in, in, the, in having the key to freedom. He says, here's the key. Do you know how to unlock handcuffs? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, there's you. See, he gives us the key, but he's not going to do it for us. God's not going to, you know, come down in the still of the night and say, hey, Sean, sorry for the things that you did. Oh, I'll, I'll accept his forgiveness. Sean has to do that. Sean has a part to play in the role of allowing grudges to be gone and, and forgiveness to be gone. And, and so now that he's, the handcuffs are off, he's, he's probably living life. He's probably like, I never want to be in those again. You really don't, I promise, because that was gentle. Um, and, and, and thank you, Sean. I want you to think about that the next time you hold forgiveness against somebody. What if God showed up and handcuffed your hands and said, until you ask for forgiveness or until you give forgiveness? Sometimes you got to give forgiveness when they're not asking for it. Somebody's done you wrong, forgive them. Can I tell you what forgiveness looks like? It may not be emotionally detached, 
It may not mean that you actually are ready to see their face in Walmart. It may not even be that you could take a phone call from them. But it's waking up every day and saying, God, I'm not going to allow this to handcuff me. I forgive them. And if you don't believe it, the next morning, wake up. God, I'm not going to allow this to handcuff me. I forgive them. Because eventually, God is going to work in you because you are trusting him to release that forgiveness and it's not on you. Why stay handcuffed in life? Why why go through your whole life wanting God to move in your life, wanting God to do something great, but yet you are holding the key of forgiveness and grudge and saying, God, I want them to do it. No, no, no. God says, I want you to move in it. They may never get to the place where they can forgive you, but you can say, I'm sorry. Or I, I, or I, I accept your forgiveness that you're not giving me. I'm not going to hold a grudge against you because I don't want to be held captive. I once had a guy allow me to put handcuffs on him and then decide to fight me. That makes sense to anybody. Like literally, I said, you're under arrest. Put your hands behind your back. And dude's like six foot four, 220 pounds. Like he could have ate my lunch. I'm five foot seven. Okay. Okay. My best chance would have been to sucker punch him in the throat. He allowed me to put his handcuffs on him. Then said he wanted to go to town. I'm not getting in your car. Son, you are already in handcuffs. You're going to go wherever I want you to go. Because I can make your wrist hurt real bad. And we get in handcuffs in our life. And then we tell the enemy, you don't have a stronghold. He goes, oh, I've already got every stronghold I need because I've got you handcuffed. Until you're willing to seek forgiveness, until you're willing to to do the things that God's word says, oh, I'll worship him. How can you worship him chained to unforgiveness? How can you worship him chained to hurt and pain? How can you worship him still holding on to the past? You may not be able to just let it go overnight, but man, it is every day saying, God, this isn't going to control me. We're going to skip the whole anger part. Don't Don't be mad at people. The Bible says, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. You don't want to be called a fool. How many times in marriage have we made ourselves show our face because we get mad? How many times at work do we show our face because we get mad? The Bible says in the book of James to be quick to listen, slow to speak, or quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't get mad. There's a righteous anger, but even in righteous anger, we, we act accordingly because we slow down and we think. So don't get mad at people. So I want to end with this, okay? I want to end with the very fact that all of this encompasses, those are great tips and tools. I hope some of you go home today, and whether it's tonight while you're laying in bed and you're just thinking about this, maybe you sit back and go, am I holding grudges to anybody? Am I living a life that's handcuffed by my past, by my hurts, by my pains, by other people? And I need to ask for forgiveness and I need to allow God to do what he needs to do to unlock the handcuffs of my life. Because the Bible says that, that, that forgiveness and, 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 and grudges will actually hinder your prayers. It'll hinder your worship. And if those two things are hindered, guess what? It's hindering completely your life. You will not grow in God while, while you hold on to hurt and pain and grudge, and unforgiveness. And the way that I wrap it up like this is that it, it comes down to kingdom culture versus worldly culture. Because worldly culture says, just sock them in their face. 
Call them out. How many times, have, listen, sometimes I just want to like, like become a nomad, get rid of all social media and nobody can find me. Why? Because I'm so tired of getting on it and, and people are just acting a fool. Grown-ups acting like five-year-olds. Right? They can't, call, they can't call you out to your face, but they'll call you out on social media. They, 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 won't, they won't deal with their issue, but they'll, they'll, they'll passive-aggressively call you out on Facebook. Silly. It's, it's silly because the world says, yeah, give them what they're, give them one, give them, go after them, tear, tear them down, go after them and their mama. What does the Bible say? I'll give you the ending of this message is how, how the Bible tells you how to deal with things. So if you need notes so that you can go back to it, it's in Matthew. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. It tells you how to deal with people when you, when you are at odds with them. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out their offense. Not privately on Facebook or a group chat, group text. Don't get in in the middle of the water cooler business on, on Monday morning and, well, go privately and deal with your offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But... If you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. This is not mob mentality. This is not, I'm upset and I'm taking Junior and Sean as my bros and we're going to go beat somebody down. This is, I need to, me and Mark had issues We dealt with them, but they didn't go well privately, so now I'm bringing Junior and Sean to the party. Their job is not to tag team on Mark. Matter of fact, they may hear me tell my issues and go, bro, you're the idiot. You need to ask for forgiveness. So the Bible says take two or three people, so you need to take wise people that can not just have your back, but also be truthful with you to say, no, bro, you're in the wrong. And then it says that if, if that doesn't work, if, if, if the issue cannot be resolved with two or three people, then it says, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. We will never have. So if y'all are like, whoo, boy, do I got something that I need to resolve. Here's what that means. It means bring it to the leadership of the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church decision, treat the person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I mean, listen, if y'all don't think the Bible doesn't have an evil way of saying things, like, that's harsh. Because, listen, it says, listen, if you've done all these three things, if you've gone privately, tried to resolve the issue, you've brought in a couple of trusted friends within the group to help resolve the issue, and then you brought it to the church leadership, and ask the church leadership for wisdom and guidance. And do you notice that the church leadership is last in it? God does not want you running to the pastor every single time you've got a problem. Pastor, just fix it. Pastor, just fix this. I, I, I'm, I'm done. What have you done? I, I, what have you done? Well, they said it, and so now I'm mad. So now I'm with you. No, go back. Fix it. 
that doesn't work, then get somebody that you trust that loves Jesus to help you fix it. And then if that doesn't work, then come to the church and say, hey, let's do this right. Let's, what do you have to say? And not that my voice is the voice of reasoning or the end-all, be-all, but the Bible says that my voice is the one that should be trusted if it gets to that level. And if we can't do that, then there's going to be some severe consequences. I hope I never have to do that with anybody. I really don't. I hope that the Holy Spirit in your lives will be able to do it, but that's how the Bible says to handle things. It doesn't say run and gossip. It doesn't say run and, and tell everybody your side of it. It doesn't say make them look like the bad guy in the community. My last scripture is Colossians 3, 12 through 15. It says this, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves... You must, okay, so this isn't an option. This isn't a, you get to choose on days that feel good. This is a you must, okay? You must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. None of that is easy. And none of it you can do on your own. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. These are you must statements. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. God directly ties how we treat people to our relationship with him. His people or his heartbeat. Jesus came to earth for people, not church buildings, not principles, not uh, uh, programs. He came for people. He cares about you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Individually cares about you. And if he cares about you that much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you can know forgiveness, then when he says forgive like I've forgiven you, think about that power when you don't forgive somebody. Think about the, your worst day that you've experienced up to this day. Your worst sin you've ever done. And if Jesus has been willing to forgive that, and he was perfect, and didn't just forgive, like, forgive you. He didn't just come up and be like, your worst sin, I forgive you, son. There you go. Good job. He went to the cross and put nails in his hands for you. Like he's not asking you to like sacrifice yourself for somebody else. He's literally asking you to say, I'm sorry, or I accept forgiveness. The enemy says, don't do it. That's prideful. Pride comes before the fall. How does the enemy stop the church? Have a bunch of prideful people that won't be willing to accept forgiveness or seek forgiveness. Even though Jesus gave forgiveness. While we were still yet sinners, God's love sacrifice his own son. How hard is it to sacrifice our pride? Even if you're not at a place where you can completely like believe it. You know it's okay to say I forgive you and inside like everything is turmoil? Peace in the chaos? I forgive you. I don't have to like you right now. Two different things. I want you to understand that because I think sometimes we go, well, I I can't, I can't even look at them right now, Scott. Okay, don't. But forgive them. Because eventually you'll get to the point where you can look at them.
but not if you don't ever start in forgiveness. I was talking to somebody about divorce this week. I said, it's sad that with inside the church, it's 54%. It's pretty much equivalent of what's outside the church. Why? Because pride, unforgiveness. Because we make bad decisions in hurt feelings and it causes a divide and then we don't know how to get it back because we're not man or woman enough to come to the table and say, I'm sorry. Or we'll make jokes about it. Right? Because, I mean, as guys, like, we always, there's two things you need to learn when you get married. I'm sorry. You're right. And we joke about it because most of the time guys aren't going to come to the table and say, I'm sorry, and you're right. And, and we've created this stigma in relationships that we can joke about it and everything will be okay instead of just dealing with it. Telling you, whether it's marriage, friendship, co-workers, family, you don't have to be best friends, but you have to come to terms with forgiveness and grudging. You have to come to terms with not being handcuffed in your own life to allow the freedom of Christ to reign in you. Will you pray with me? Father, I know this wasn't a feel-good message, but I believe it's a feel-good lifestyle. But how can we sit there and say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand somebody? God, there are, there are things in each and every, I, will, I, I could go out on a limb and almost say 100% everybody in here has somebody that they can think of that absolutely gets their blood boiling. Father, I'm asking that you help us to release that. And whether they did us wrong or whether we did them wrong and we just can't come to the table to ask for forgiveness, God, I pray that you would start to break down those walls. Maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe there's a, a, a massive hurt in our past of somebody did us wrong or di did something wrong to us. Held on to it. We don't know how to forgive because we don't think that they deserve it. The Bible says we don't deserve forgiveness, but yet you went to the cross for us. By forgiving them doesn't say that what they did wasn't right or wrong, but what it does say is that you're not going to be handcuffed any longer to those traumas and those pasts. So Father, help us to come to the place where we come to the cross and we stop trying to release the handcuffs on our own and we ask, Father, for your spirit to help us to get to the place where we are able to live at peace with everybody that we possibly can to live in humility, to live in your purpose, your will and your plan for our lives, and that we carry and we clothe ourselves in the things that Colossians says that we need to. Not perfect. Not always going to do it right. And when we don't, we ask for forgiveness. Father, I pray that this week we, we live that life out. God, give us opportunity to live that place in our life. I pray blessings over each and every person here. And I pray that you give us opportunity to show the goodness of God when we go to live our life out this week. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.